Lucy Godorara holds a deep fascination for the humble button. The Canadian-born creative has travelled the world sourcing unique buttons in factories, family-run businesses and wholesaler treasure troves. She opened her store All Buttons Great and Small in Sydney's Newtown three decades ago. The store's been a staple on one of the coolest streets in the city's southwest for 34 years and now Lucy's written a book of the same name, providing a compelling visual history of the button from the Stone Age to today. Maggie Tweedy began by asking Lucy for her own button origin story. I've always been interested in details and I started sewing at around age five. My mum let me sew on her sewing machine and when I was 10 I started making my own clothes and I have to to say also that my mum sewed all of our clothes. So she used to take me fabric shopping and while she was choosing fabrics I was like lost in the button section and then um I had a few different careers over the years and then I found myself living in Amsterdam and opposite a woman who opened a button shop. And right from the beginning, I started working with her. And after three and a half years, I was coming back to Australia and she said, well, you have to open a button shop. And so I did. When did you look at a button and and wonder about its history? Because you're were traveling to places and I would find these extraordinary buttons that I had no idea how they were made. Like I, in, in Europe, of course, there's a lot of, a lot more button manufacturers and you just see the most extraordinary things and people have businesses for generations and there's old stock from generations ago. And I just, I, you know, as a, as a maker myself, I've always been a, a maker of some sort. Um, I just looked at these and thought, how on earth did they make them? Who invented the button? They can't be sure as far as buttons that we know today. Um, that came into Europe via the Middle East um, in the form of um, pillaging crusaders who returned across Europe with um, garments that the people in the Middle East were wearing, long sort of robes with um, buttons from throat to to ankle. They just, you know, up until then, um, fashion was basically you were tied up with strings or belts or other forms of not work. So in comes the concept of using it to fasten a garment. Yes. So I guess some um, Stone Age men had, especially in the northern um, countries, you know, up in Scandinavia, Germany, where all those places, northern Europe where it's cold, they would have had something that is probably more like a, um, it was called a double button, it's probably like a precursor to a, a cufflink. So something like, a, for instance, a bone, an animal bone is perfect. It's got knobs at both ends and you, you sort of make a hole in a, in a leather skin and attach it at the neck but you know of course those things a lot of the they're only guessing you know they they find some um bits of skins and they find some bits of bones and they sort of put two and two together and and make up a story (laughs) 
I imagine you have enough material now to make a museum, both academically, of course, in this beautiful book that you have just released, All Buttons Great and Small, but also in your shop in Sydney and Newtown of the same name. I imagine you have an extensive collection which you could display for people. You've got so much knowledge. I'm sure you're wanting to share it all with the world. Well, it's interesting because I had been sort of putting buttons away over the last 34 years, um, especially when... Um, I did have some very, very interesting buttons. Um, and then all of a sudden someone would come to the counter and say, oh, I'd say, how many would you like? And they'd say, oh, I'll take them all. And then I, my internal thoughts were, oh, my God, they're going to be all gone. What am I going to do? I can't show anybody else about them. I can't talk about them. So I started um, going around and just taking one or two buttons and putting them away and having no idea what would happen. And you can imagine over 34 years, um, there were many drawers that you opened with a small box inside that said Lucy's no pilfering because, of course, we had staff that would also put buttons away. And um, so all of these boxes together ended up into a very big box. And then um, Exile Publishing approached me and I thought, what a great idea. There's glass, ceramic, metal glazed buttons, Swazowski crystal, contemporary Czech glass buttons, uranium glass, enamel on copper, mosaic buttons in this book. The collection is extensive and it's a real visual history as we turn the pages. I wonder if you had five buttons to put in a button box, what would you choose and why? Uh, I'd probably if I only could have five and I was leaving it for somebody in future generations, I'd probably take one of each material and I would probably show the greatest craftsmanship. So in the plastics, I would probably include some of my favourite contemporary um, hand-carved polyester from Italy. From in the shells, I would if I had some beautiful hand-carved um, mother of pearl shells, I'd include, include those. Otherwise, I would include some of the newer contemporary laser-etched ones. Um, metal, I'd probably choose something that was either handwork with the crystals in them or something that was made by hand from brass stampings or something like that. So many of us are introduced to buttons through a grandmother's button box. Uh, many yes. have have memories. They kind of evoke a certain time and place. Uh, and I also think the miniature aspect really does kind of charge your mind into a childlike place. Many people love miniatures, don't they? We, we see that fascination yeah. for small and delicate things in, in many cultures around the world. And we even see directors like Wes Anderson playing with them in his films and revealing miniature lifes on the ground they kind of open up our mind they do absolutely and um, besides the grandmothers or mothers button box that a lot of people share that story um, a lot of um, educators use buttons for a variety of reasons um, with smaller kids obviously you have to use bigger buttons but um, They'll often use them for counting or sorting. Um, you can sort them by colour, you can sort them by size, you can sort them by two-hole, you can sort them by four-hole, by shank. 
it, just like playing with cards, you can have four the same, four different, that sort of game. A lot of psychologists use them with children where they go into a room and they say, okay, they have a selection of buttons and they say, choose a button of what you're feeling like today. And then they discuss that as well. Um, so it's kind of interesting how people use buttons outside of obviously fastenings. But as you said, it, everybody's familiar with it. And, you know, we even get like small children, very small children coming into the shop with their parents or friends and they just get so excited and especially when they see the really big buttons they just squeal because it's like oh my god it's a really big button <laughs> what's the biggest button you have in store um well the biggest button there's two you can answer this question two ways the biggest button that is a usable button that you would sew on a garment is probably about 80 millimeters so eight centimeters and but the largest buttons that we sell, um, which my partner Oscar Pricats makes, he's a furniture maker, and he makes buttons that are um, half a meter in diameter, up to half a meter in diameter. Um, actually, no, he has made our signage, which is a little bit bigger. And over the years, we've probably sold about 200 of those buttons. They've gone all over the world. And um, he's made a couple of button stools. He made one for us when um, when the shop turned 20. He, he made one as a gift to me. And since then, he's made a couple more because customers say, oh, I'd like to buy that. I'm like, I'm sorry, it's not for sale, but we can order one. <laughs> <laughs> we can custom make you one. You sound like yes. a bit of a creative match made in heaven. <laughs> I, I wonder how many button collectors you probably met in your lifetime. That's probably... Uh, far above the hundreds. Uh, are there any button fanatics like you, though? I try not to have things cluttering up my life because I'm also um, my mind can be quite chaotic, so I like order in, in the rest of my life as much as I can. But I have met very many collectors. That's, the shop is not so much geared towards a collectible person. Yeah, as you, you may have noticed in the book that um, while I do talk about antique buttons, predominantly the buttons that are um, shown in the book are more contemporary. There are some in the plastics that are, well, I guess some of them will be antique by now. Most collectors go before plastics, really. Can you tell me about the craft and production of contemporary buttons? It's very clear reading this book that that's something that you're really passionate about and making sure that we preserve that understanding of craft. Yes, very much so. Um, my favourite suppliers are from Italy and Italy has a long, long artisanal um, history. They um, still produce things by hand and well and affordably. So, um, for instance, the, the plastic that I really love, the hand-carved polyesters. That company is, uh, I think, now third generation. The daughter's just taken it over. She's in her um, either late 30s, early 40s, and um, just going from strength to strength. The enamel buttons that we have is also um, a generational business. Um, I think it's in its second generation. Also, the, the children have taken it over. 
And both of these companies are just sort of in the the surrounding areas around Milan and, and Bergamo. And they employ maybe maximum 12 people and they just work away. They're when I, when I make an order of these handcrafted buttons, I'll put the order together and maybe in two to three months they'll arrive. So you can imagine that they're making buttons for the entire world and you just get in a line and when they're done, you get your order, which, you know, I'm comfortable with as well. Wow. It's it's really handmade to scale. Yeah. Yeah. So, for instance, in the talking about the enamel buttons, um, the funny thing is I, I decided that I was going to as I was um, researching history and finding more and more about the buttons when I first opened the shop I thought oh people would say to me oh do you have any more expensive buttons and I thought yes I'd like to have more expensive buttons and where do I get them and then I couldn't find any and I thought well I'll just make them myself so I I started a four-year course of jewelry making jewelry manufacture and halfway through the course I went on a buying trip and I met these people in Italy with the enamel buttons and which is what I wanted to do and I thought well I can't compete with that price and it'll take me another two years of study to get there (laughs) so um, the way they make them is they mass produce the the base of the button then they plate them then they meticulously hand enamel they fill in all the the gaps of the the base mount then they bake the enamel and then they, if they're going to put any stones in, they'll glue the stones in at that point, and then they'll completely coat it in a resin coating afterwards. So it's a big process, um, which just gives spectacular results for an affordable price. Mm, incredibly detailed and quite a glossy product in the end, right? Yes, yeah. And still, I mean, I hand wash them. I actually use my delicate cycle on my washing machine and put them in a laundry bag they don't like dry cleaning um the resin coating on the top can get cloudy with dry cleaning yeah um, they're they're very sturdy yeah i i wonder if that's something that you probably look for when you are sourcing buttons something that's both hardy and special because we are of course quite rough with our clothing now washing them in heavy duty cycles and i imagine that's probably a requirement for you when you do hunt new buttons down definitely um my whole philosophy in this in the shop is to have beautiful buttons and also hard wearing buttons Uh, it's almost hard to believe that during this interview we might have actually upset quite a few people who have a fear of buttons and you've dedicated an entire chapter in your book to those who fear buttons have you come across many with a phobia of buttons who are actually scared of the objects I hadn't come into contact with people, but many customers had said to me, oh, you know, my daughter couldn't come in here, my son couldn't come in here because of the phobia, or somebody else will will come in and I'll say, oh, do you need some help? And they said, no, 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 it's for my friend. I actually, I have a fear of buttons. And I'm like, oh, but you've managed to come into the shop. And they said, oh, yes, I just can't touch them. And those kind of things. But we did have quite recently a young person came in with a a young girl so they're teenagers and I noticed because it was a busy Saturday but 
he had his hands over her eyes and was leading her into the shop. So obviously he was playing a prank on her and he led her into the shop and then he took his eyes away and she started screaming and ran out of the shop and he thought it was really funny and the rest of the shop was like I don't know what I mean I understood that she had a phobia the rest of the shop was just like you know dude that's not okay (laughs) but um, yeah that was my only actual experience with somebody who had the phobia.